Well, good morning. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I had the best Thanksgiving ever. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law are here, and they bring with them my little baby Eleanor, and I've enjoyed it so very much. Um, my daughter from California was here, and but she's already back. It's been a wonderful time. Today, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're in this series called David, uh, a man after God's own heart. So the question that we're trying to answer is, what are the characteristics about David that made him a man after God's own heart? Um, there is a, a man in the Bible that if you read through the Bible, what you cannot miss, his name is Solomon. He is one of the most incredibly successful men ever in the history of the world. In fact, uh, a, a writer by the name of David Newby published a book in 2018 entitled Beyond Billions, and in his book, he said, if you were to take um, today's dollars and quantify the amount of money that Solomon had, he would be worth somewhere around $2 trillion. He said that it is the composite wealth of the 400 richest Americans on the Forbes list. Now, what was the pivotal point in the life of Solomon that took him from a king but to this extraordinarily blessed king of Israel. And we actually have the story. There was a day when God comes to Solomon, and he asks Solomon, Solomon, what do you want me to give you? And Solomon replied, God, I don't know how to lead this people. I'm asking you to give me a discerning heart to know how to govern. I need you to teach me the difference between right and wrong. Because who can govern this people of yours? The Lord was so pleased with Solomon. I, I want you to take this to heart. Have you ever asked God to teach you? Have you ever invited God to say anything he wants to you about any area of your life? Have you ever expressed to God, God, I want your wisdom. I want to know what you have to say. I don't know how to live my life. I don't know how to do my job. I, I, God, I am opening the door and I'm asking you to teach me. God was so impressed. That Solomon, he says, I'm, Solomon, because you didn't ask for the, the lives of your enemies. Now, some of you may have a list. Because you didn't ask for that. You didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for long life. I'm going to give you all of it. And I will give you my wisdom. Um, I think that one thing for sure is that when we're looking at the story of David and trying to ask the question, what makes him a man after his, of God's own heart? It's pretty, it's pretty important for us to notice that David, when put to the test, chooses humility and chooses to have a teachable spirit. You know Saul that he was replacing? You know Saul's problem? Saul became the king and then acted like he was the king of kings. And he no longer cared about what God had to say. 
He didn't pay attention to the commands that were issued by God and given through the prophets. And he even, at times, would blame shift and even go, he was so audacious that when God told him in this one particular battle to kill all of the animals, he kept some of the animals. And when the prophet confronted him with his disobedience, he says, well, I've decided that it would be better for me to keep some of the animals so that I could offer them as sacrifice. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, I actually have a better plan than you, the creator, ruler of heaven and earth, the one who knows the beginning and the end. I've got a better plan. And he became so unteachable, so uncorrectable that God says, I gotta get rid of, I have to replace you. This isn't working. You're really not the king. I'm the king. And you as king lead the people to me. But that's not happening anymore. So there is this story that comes to us in 1 Samuel 25 where David is actually put to the test to see whether or not he has the humility to be corrected. Um, to be corrected by a woman. Um, so let's look at it. I would title this sermon, Two Fools and a Wise Woman. And all the ladies love that title, don't you? I, I, I do it. Two fools and a wise woman. And so here we go. First Samuel 25. Now there was a man in Moan who had business uh, in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep at Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and his wife, and the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a, 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 a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Wow, smart, wise, and beautiful. That's the package deal, right? But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Now, there was a, a man in Moan who, um, and so th this, this, is, this is Nabal. Now, you know, Nabal, there's just not much to like about this guy. You know, he reminds me of one of my favorite cartoons as a little boy. Popeye the Sailor Man. Anybody ever seen Popeye the Sailor Man? Maybe there's, yeah, all of the old people are raising their hands. No, some young ones are, okay. I love Popeye the Sailor Man. You know what I'm saying? Now, here, here's the picture of Popeye the Sailor Man. There's Popeye and then there's Brutus. Brutus was Nabal. He was this big, surly, evil-hearted evil man. I, he, the, every episode was the same thing. Brutus would find someone to bully. He would bully him, and then good-hearted Popeye was going to go and try to help the person being bullied. The only problem was Popeye was a skinny little sailor man, and Brutus was this enormously strong, evil guy. And so, But, but Popeye is so good-hearted, he's going to try, and he's got a secret weapon. And do you know what that secret weapon is? He would always eat. You do know Popeye the sailor man. Spinach, canned spinach, spinach, the nastiest vegetable known to humankind. As a little boy, I'm thinking, I hate spinach, but it works for Popeye, so on the off chance it will work, I'm going to eat this nasty stuff. But this was Nabal. He was a bully. You couldn't tell him anything. 
Now, when David heard in verse 4 in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, now let me just tell you that the sheep shearing time was a festival of thanksgiving for what, what, whatever prophet a, a, a sheep husbandman of a husbandman, I guess, uh, would have. It was a celebration of a year that had gone well. So they, they were, they were having, they were, he was shearing his sheep. Typically what that meant is that a wealthy man who owned this many sheep and he was celebrating the success of the year, uh, he would invite the community to a feast. He would cook for everybody. It was a great community developing kind of, I'm going to share my wealth with people around me. Uh, it was a wonderful time. Very typical for people in the community to go and to enjoy the feast during the time of sheep shearing. So David sent ten men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity. So David scripts them carefully. Peace be to you, peace to your house, peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servant and to your son David. Notice the humble tone. So David's men, young men, came and spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David. And David was thinking, this is a slam dunk. I mean, David's group of fighting men, 600 strong, were sort of a presence of peace and order. They established the peace so that the sheep could be okay. I mean, that was their mission. They helped to protect the people in Israel. I mean, everybody knew, you don't have 600 men wandering around unnoticed. You get what I'm saying? And the request goes. And you would have thought, he would have said, sure. You guys are invited. That's not what happened. Verse 10. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Now he knew who David was. David was the hero warrior of Israel. He also was aware that Saul had tried to kill David. And Nabal thought, why will I give anything to this loser of a guy surrounded by 600 losers. I am not wasting my money on a useless future in the name of David. Not going to do it. So what does he do? He doesn't say a polite no. He hurls insults in the way he responded. He knew exactly what he was doing. These men had lost their standing and power, and according to Nabal, they had no future. So he was done with them and wasn't going to help them at all. That's fool number one. Fool number two. Fool number two is David as he responds to the insults. So David's young men turned on their heels 
I just love that statement, okay? It's full of attitude. They turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told them all these words. And David said to these men, Every man girded on his sword, so every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David. So what does David say? This guy is insulting me. I have done good to him. I have contributed to his success. I make a reasonable request. And what does he do? He doesn't just say a polite no. He insults me. Load up, guys. Let's go teach him a lesson. Now, David, in his moment of anger, is making all kinds of mistakes. You know, um, I've heard it often said that emotions are good servants but terrible masters. You know, you and I don't make good decisions when we're all emotional. Did you know that? And when we're angry, we certainly don't make very good decisions. We're not thinking of the long term. We're not thinking of the implications of what we're about to do. This is what's going on with David. He is about to create a disaster. A revenge killing of an entire community because he was insulted by a guy who wouldn't give he and his men a meal at the festival time. This, this could have tanked his future hopes of being king. But enter one wise woman, Abigail. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. It was clear. But, when the, men, but, but the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were, as a, they were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time they were with them, keeping the sheep. And Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that, that one cannot speak to him. That's the characteristic of a fool. If people can't ever tell you anything, you're demonstrating the characteristic of a Characteristic, characteristics of a fool. Don't want to hear it. Now, it is pretty clear, even within the household of Nabal, what kind of a man he is. And this guy comes to Abigail, and he's hot and intense, and he says, and what are you going to do? You know why? Because he was afraid he was about to die. An army of 400 men coming upon their village. Men of war, skilled warriors. And angry, David are going to be dead. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Sounds like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband of all. Very wise. Very wise woman. She sends these gifts ahead. And she strategically says, I want him, I want David to see all of these gifts. And I want you to present them humbly to David. And after he has received the gifts, I will come. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. 
and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. I mean, this lady takes matters into her own hands. This lady, with great courage, is trying to avert a disaster. She could have been killed instantly by David. That's why she sent the gifts ahead. That's why when, when she saw David, she gets off of, of um, uh, her donkey and she bows to the ground. She's treating him like the king she believes he will one day be. Now David said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow, in the, uh, all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and she repaid me, he repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. David declares his intention for a revenge killing of the entire village. And now what is she going to say? What is she going to do? Verse 23, now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly. She fell on her face before David, bowed to the ground. Now she goes on, and, and she now, in a very brief speech, speaks to the future of David, whom she believes will be the king, who talks to him very clearly about the fact that David... One day a story will be told about this moment. Will this be heavy on your conscience that you gave in to a, a, a revenge killing? David, will evil be spoken of you because of a poor decision on this moment? Or, or will you change? Now, you know, here's, here's the truth. Everybody here has blind spots. Man, I hate this message. Every, everybody here has blind spots. Everybody here needs coaches. Because you know what? Everybody around you sees your blind spot except you. Did I tell you that I hate this message? I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, hey, I love you, but you got blind spots. Come on, tell them. Come on, let's, let's get this going. You know, that's why everyone needs counselors. Actually, Proverbs 11 says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You need other people. Now, don't listen to your critics, because you all got critics. But do listen to your coaches. Let me tell you the difference. A critic comes to you and tells you everything you're doing wrong in a spirit of judgment and condemnation. And they'll, that'll destroy you. But do listen to your coaches. And the coach comes with the same observations, but from a heart of love with a hope that you will hear him or her so that you will improve and you will actually get to the good and preferred future that is possible. Don't listen to your critics, but do make sure you have and listen to your coaches. 
you know, when I was 20 years old, here's the deal. I thought my parents didn't know anything. Um, so I didn't want to ask them. You know who I asked? I asked my buddies that were also 20 years old. And they agreed with me. You know why? Because they had the same blind spots I did. You know why you need counselors? You need counselors that are not in your current situation. You need counselors that are maybe have been, I don't want to say old, but maybe older, a broader and longer perspective on life to be able to look at what's going on and give you advice that could actually get you out of your, your funk and direct. You know why I don't want to listen to counselors that might disagree with me? Because I love living in my echo chamber. One writer said that um, divorces and adultery happen in groups. And then he goes on to explain that the reason we can say that is because when you're at home and you're having a problem with your spouse and things are at a real low level in your marriage, you go to work and around the water cooler, you talk to the people at work. And you know who you're talking to? You're going to find some people around that water cooler who are also having a hard time with their spouse and at a really low point in their marriage, and they're going to agree with you. And then you, you know what's going to happen? They're going to say, hey, well, let's go out and get some drinks. And then you're going to go to the bar, and a bunch of people at the bar are going to be commiserating with you, and I'm going to just say that uh, divorce and adultery and infidelity happens in groups. Get out of the wrong group. You need counselors. You know the counselor you need if your marriage is in trouble? You need a counselor. You need someone who has been married a while and has been through the ups and downs and, and they're still married. And they can give you a different perspective and it won't sound fun or right or good and they're not going to commiserate with you. And that's what you want, right? You want, you want people to commiserate with you. But that's not what you need. And the question is, will David be coachable? Will he be teachable? You know, sometimes, men, we have a hard time listening to our spouses. Please do not interview Cindy after this message. Many times I know she's right, but I'm just mad. I'm just mad because she's telling me what I know is right, and I don't even want to be right, and I just want to be mad. Have you ever been that way? But what God loved about David, we're going to find out. Just so you know the end of the story, he does listen. Unlike Saul. He could humble himself and listen. He was coachable. And Abigail is masterful at her appeal. She fell at his feet and she says, and so she begins her speech, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. You know what she just did in that, in that statement? She validated his anger. She validated the fact that her husband 
was acting in iniquity. And please let your maidservant speak in your ear. So would you please let me talk and hear the words of your maidservant. I'm just a maidservant. Will you listen to me? Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. Actually, Nabal means folly. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord... As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from committing bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. David, the mistake hasn't been made. Not yet. And God has held you back. Now, let your enemies... And those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. In verse 27, and now this present, it, it, now this present which your maid servant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maid servant. She takes responsibility. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. She speaks to his future. You are going to get a king. You will have an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. She appeals to his good reputation and his great past track record. And evil is not found in you throughout your day. So far, David, nothing like this has ever happened. Yet a man has risen to pursue and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. So the bundle is she's talking about here is like a wallet where you put things in a wallet, a leather wallet, and you wrap it with the strings and you secure it. She says, this is how I see you, David. I see you as so precious to God that he is protecting your life and continues to protect your life. She speaks to his value and to his future. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from the pocket of a sling. What? Does he think of anything when he thinks about a sling and a stone? Yes, he does. She brings him back to that glorious moment when he stood as a young shepherd boy all alone on, on the hill against the mighty warrior Goliath, trusting his life and future in God and God alone. And as she talks, she reshapes his thoughts, his perspective, and his focus. And then she says, and it shall come to pass, when the Lord has spoken for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appointed you as ruler over Israel, you're going to be our king, David. That this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you may you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maid servant. So she says, David, look into the future. Will this be a blot on your conscience that you carry around for the rest of your life? Will this diminish your ability to reign as our king? Oh, David, what we are looking for is a magnanimous king 
who knows how to respond with stability in times of trouble and even insults. We already have a temperamental king who throws spears at his most loyal servants for no reason at all. Who are you going to be? What is going to be the story of your life? You know, all of you who are here today, young people, middle-aged, that's the big question. What is going to be the story of your life? You know, if you're a parent here today, you can try to influence your children by criticizing them all the time. And, you know, but honestly, I don't want to go home if all I get is criticism. What if parents changed techniques and started speaking to the future of the lives of their children? Coaches who believe the best about them, who hope for the best for their future, who challenge them that today they are writing the story of their life You know, one of the saddest conversations I've ever had is, and I've had several of these, is when a man comes to me, you know, by the time they get to me and I'm the pastor and they come to the pastor's office, I get it, okay? I do my best to not be scary. In fact, if you come visit me, I've got snacks in the closet, so just relax, okay? Um, but I remember a guy came to me and he was telling me about some of the particulars of his marriage and his frustrations, and he said, so I'm, I'm going to divorce her. And I said, okay. Um, I said, you know, I do a lot of funerals. And I know that when they put you into the ground, there will be a sort of a cliff note statement that is understood and spoken of among your children. And I wonder if the cliff note, do you really want it to be? Dad was a good guy, but he reached a point where he stopped loving us and loving mom. And our family blew apart. Is that really the story you want to be told? That's the question for us today. Will David be humble enough to listen? Will David be a teachable man? And the answer is yes, he does. Listen, verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord of Israel, listen to this, who sent you this day to me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel live, lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Surely, by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. So God tests David. And David is a man. 
your correction. Did I tell you how much I hate this sermon? She goes home. She's going to tell Nabal about what just about happened. But when she gets home, he's, he's stone drunk. This guy is partying like a king. The fool he is. So once again, she exercises wisdom and doesn't talk to him that night. She waits, waits till the next day. He's a little more sober, maybe hungover a little bit. And then she tells Nabal, Nabal, what you don't realize is you're about to be dead. And all of the men in this community were going to be dead too. You so insulted David, he was on his way. And then I, I went and I gave them gifts and I begged for him to not do what he had planned and as Nabal listened he had a stroke and 10 days later he died and the word came to David that Nabal had died so what does David do he issues an invitation of marriage to this beautiful wise woman who can talk to him so effectively and what does Abigail do? She quickly gets on her donkey and goes and becomes the wife of David. And everybody lived happily ever after. Well, I don't know if it was really like that, but anyway. So the question is, what makes David a man after God's own heart? I think it is because David was humble enough to receive correction. Are you willing to receive want God's best for your life and if you do are you willing to say the prayer God I want to hear whatever you have to say to me I mean it and then buckle up and know he's very gentle and he tells you just a little bit at a time I think he does this to us because he's so kind and he says, and I will lead you step by step, and I will make you the godly man I know you will be. I will make you the godly woman I know you will be. I do not come at you with condemnation for past sins and failures and mistakes. I come to you out of a heart of love, believing that the goodness of God is going to come to you. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know people uh, sometimes have said it's, 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 it's on, on many plaques and cards and everything, and they say, oh, it's taken out of context. Wait a second. Yeah, yeah. This is a reflection of the heart of God who comes to a people that had gotten themselves into a lot of trouble, and they didn't know if there was any hope for the future. And God says in Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, listen to this. I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace. Receive this today. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me.